In other words, Paul's saying, and I don't know, you know, did, did Paul's mother, was she not a believer? Uh, had she passed away? I don't know. But Paul's here saying, hey, this, this, this fellow Christian, she was like a mother to me. And then in verse 14, notice he uses the phrase again, the brothers and sisters. Then in verse 17, he's urging brothers and sisters. And then finally in verse 24, he calls Quartus our brother. So over and over again in these verses, he's reminding us by using these terms, brothers and sisters and even mother at this point, that we are part of a spiritual family. And that there is a bond that God creates with us. That it should be a very strong bond. One that brings us together uh, even affectionately toward each other. That's why uh, up in verse 16, he tells us as Christians to greet one another with a holy kiss. Meaning an appropriate way of showing affection. Obviously, there's inappropriate ways of showing affection. But Paul is saying a Christ-like affection by using the word holy there with the word kiss. See, in these verses, Paul is sharing his appreciation and affection for his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's another sort of way he groups these people as well. I want you to notice uh, in, let's say, verse 5, dear friend, Eponidas. And then again in verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend, Then in verse 9, Urbanus, my good friend, Stachys. And then finally in verse 12, he refers to Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis as dear friends. So Paul's not only identifying that as brothers and sisters in Christ, obviously we're a family. That's the way we should look at each other, as family But Paul says we should also look at each other as friends. We should be creating and building and sustaining friendships with each other. And notice most of the time in front of the word friend, he uses the word dear or beloved. It's a word that speaks of value and worth and esteem. Paul's saying, I don't just look at you as a friend. I look at you as a dear friend. You mean something to me, which is why Paul knew these names and knew them by name. Because if somebody truly means something to us, we'll obviously remember their name as they will us, you see. And so Paul is saying, here's my final note to you. And it's a note of appreciation. I want you to see in me that I truly appreciate you because I've learned your names And I'm going to take time in my letter before I sign off to let you know how much I appreciate you and the affection that I have for you and how much you are valued by me and how much you are worth to me in my life. And notice something. Paul's taking the time to do this while people are alive. Not after they die and then, you know, he does a eulogy for them and says all kinds of nice things. He's taking the time to let them know how much they mean to him right now, you see. And then one final group, and I think even more so than the spiritual family aspect and the friend aspect, this one I think meant the most to Paul. 
And that was those who were with him sort of working, laboring side by side. Notice again up in verse 1, he calls Phoebe a servant. This word means one who runs through the dust to help others. Then down in verse 3, he talks about fellow workers. These are people who put forth great effort, energetic companions in the work of God. And many Christians today don't want to associate serving God and ministering with God with work. I don't want to work, you know. I want an easy life, God. Give me an easy life. Then you know what? You, you don't want to follow Jesus Christ, and you certainly don't want to be involved in ministry and service. Because there will be work involved. And Paul really valued the Christians that were, as we talked about even last week, who were willing to enter the arena and help in the fight. Just like a soldier, obviously, would appreciate another soldier being there as they're in battle, instead of seeing... Maybe a soldier over there, you know, taking it easy while they're in the midst of the fight. Paul certainly appreciated those who were willing to get involved and work. Notice, in fact, in verse 6, he talks about Mary, who has worked very hard for you. These words mean to labor to the point of exhaustion. That's the kind of Christian she was. She wasn't one of those Christians who said, you know what, God, I'll serve you and I'll minister for you when it fits into my schedule and what doesn't cost me too much. And, and, and when, when, you know, I can just do my little part. No, these were people that worked and worked hard. Notice in verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker. Verse 12, greet Tryphena. And by the way, to me, these are two of the best names in the Bible. Tryphena and Tryphosa. I mean, can you imagine two twin daughters, little Tryphena, little Tryphosa? Can I tell you what those names mean? Delicate and dainty. Can't you just picture it? Maybe we shouldn't even try to picture it anyway. But here's the cool thing. Notice he says, Greek Tryphena and Tryphosa labors in the Lord. And these words that Paul are using isn't even talking necessarily about the quantity of the work that they've done, but the effort, the effort that it's taken to get something done. And Paul is letting them know, I've noticed this, I've heard about it, and I want you to know I appreciate you and all the labor and the work and the effort that you've put forth for the Lord, Paul said. Then again, finally, in verse 21, Paul calls Timothy, my fellow worker. Why is it important that we have energetic workers for the Lord? Well, keep your finger in Romans 16 for a moment. Go over to the book of Colossians, if you will. To Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Every Christian, and especially any Christian who is serving the Lord or ministering for the Lord... We should memorize this verse, or at least meditate on it quite often. Because here's what Paul says to the Colossian Christians in Colossians 3, verse 23. He says, whatever you are doing, so that's pretty broad. <laughs> whatever you're doing as a Christian right now in your life, work at it with what? 
enthusiasm. We could use the word passion. We could use the word commitment. We could use the word effort. Why? Because Paul says, ultimately what we are doing is not for people, but to who? To the Lord. That's why these people in Rome served and ministered at the level that they did because they never were out there serving and ministering for people. Everything that they did was, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. I'm doing this for you. And I'm going to give it everything I've got. Whether I get any appreciation back from those I'm doing it for, God, that's not what I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for you. And if not one person does ever recognize me or acknowledge what I do, I know that you are a God that always will. You see everything I do. And you will one day reward me as I need to be rewarded. And hopefully all of us just want to hear the words from Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do it with everything you've got. Think about how every local church and every Christian community and even every Christian family and every Christian individually in their life, how our life would be transformed if everything that we did, we worked at it with enthusiasm. And that's what you see here in Romans 16. That's why Paul says... Before I end this letter and sign off, I want to give you a note of appreciation. I appreciate you as my brothers and sisters in Christ, my spiritual family, because we share a bond that is stronger than even a physical family bond. Secondly, Paul says, I appreciate you because you're a dear friend. I know that you're somebody that we're going to walk through this life together. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to support each other. We're going to go through the thick and thin of it together. And I value you. You are of great worth to me. And we're going to stand by each other. We're going to be the Jonathan and David. You're going to be able to count on me. I'm going to be able to count on you. That is so important today in the world in which we live. And then finally, Paul says, I appreciate you Because of the work, because of the labor, because of the ministry, because of the service that you've done. You've worked hard. And what you've done, you've worked at with enthusiasm. And I want to commend you for it. And I want to acknowledge you for it. And I want to share with you my appreciation as a brother and sister in Christ. That you are that fellow soldier in the heat of the battle, willing to get into the arena and fight. And Paul says, thank you. So Paul ends with a note of appreciation. Secondly, Paul ends, though, with a note of warning. Beginning in verse 17, Paul says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out. It means to pay careful attention to, to be alert, to always be aware of those who are creating dissensions, divisions amongst you. Paul says, look, God calls us to be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul is saying, I want you to literally be aware that there will be times in the fellowship, even in Rome, 
where there will be people who try to, to, to drive wedges between you as brothers and sisters in Christ and try to stir up strife and division because all they're thinking about are themselves. All they're trying to do is promote their own selfish agenda and they're not in this fellowship for the good of the whole. They're in it for them. And Paul says, first of all, I want you to, to note that and be warned by that ahead of time that it's going to happen. And then he also says, I want you to watch out also for those who are creating obstacles, placing unnecessary impediments in people's way, contrary to the teaching that you learn. And notice what Paul says to do, avoid them. Stay away from them. I don't care whether they call themselves a brother or sister in Christ or not. Don't let them have a platform in the local church because they will use it to bring dissension and to deceive people. And he says, certainly, don't let them have a heavy influence in your life. Stay away from them. What this reminds us of is a couple things. First of all, God calls us to unity, yes, but not unity at all costs at the expense of truth. And second of all, in this, Paul, Paul is also saying, look, not only do we have to watch out for people who are troublemakers and trying to stir up disunity and division within the family of God, But he said, we also have to take seriously the false doctrine and the false teaching. And and we can't allow people to influence us that way. In in fact, here's one of the things that God showed me was in the first 16 verses, it's almost like Paul's reminding us, are there people that should be influencing you that you're not letting influence you? And then in verse 17 and on down through the next couple verses, he's saying, and are there people, other fellow Christians or those who claim to be Christians who are influencing you and they shouldn't be influencing you? You shouldn't be allowing them to influence you like you are because they're not good for you spiritually. They're taking you down the wrong path because they're trying to divide you from your brothers and sisters in Christ and they're spreading things that are contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Paul says, beware. In fact, notice he goes on to say, these are the kind, verse 18, who do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They live only for themselves. And by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive or unguarded. Paul says, don't be divided and don't be deceived. And can I just say, because I think this is an excellent illustration of this, because it's obviously been very prominent in our news in the last couple of months. We live in a world today that is very hyper-vigilant when it comes to being quarantined from infectious diseases, and rightfully so. And yet, down through history, we even, as Christians, have tolerated the spread of diseased doctrine and false teaching and not thought a thing of it, and not realized the damage that teaching that is contrary to Scripture can do. See, and I know people don't like to go this far, but if someone dies of a deadly disease physically and they know God, that's all that can happen to them. 
is they die the physical death, but they spend eternity with Jesus. But if somebody gets a hold of false doctrine and false teaching to the point where it totally poisons their minds against God, then even when they die, they spend eternity apart from God. And we seem to not be as riled up about false teaching and doctrine that is contrary to Scripture as much as we are physical disease. And yet it's just, if not more damaging, because it will affect people's eternity. Or even for Christians, it will affect very much our Christian life and how we live it here on earth if Christians buy in to false teaching and teaching that is contrary to what Scripture teaches. And Paul is warning the Romans. I mean, these are the last things Paul says. It's like any of us. You know, you might have said a lot of stuff to somebody, but if you're getting ready to go out the door, or they're getting ready to go out the door, or you're not going to see each other for a while, the very last things you say are the things that you want to resonate and to stay in their minds, because these are the things that to you really matter the most. So we are able to sort of get into the heart of Paul here in Romans 16 to say, what really is important to Paul? Well, obviously, his brothers and sisters in Christ... And secondly, this whole warning about don't let people come into your fellowship and begin to divide you and deceive you. Be on guard. Be warned. Paul goes on to say in verse 19, your obedience is known to all and thus I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And then in verse 20, he gives him a great verse. He says, ultimately, you're going to be victorious through Jesus Christ. Because the God of peace will one day quickly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He promises them ultimate victory. So there it is. A word of appreciation. A word of warning. Now notice as he ends, a word of exhortation beginning in verse 25. And I love this because Paul has obviously spent time focusing on people and appreciating them and sharing his affection for them, rightfully so. And then he spends time talking about two very important things to his heart, the unity of God's people, but also the truth of God and how we've got to fight for both, if you will, within our church family and be on our guard, and be warned, and be watchful, and pay attention, and be alert, and be aware. But the final thing Paul wants to leave with these people, he wants them now to focus on God himself. And the last thought, the last person that he wants to place in the forefront of the minds of the Romans is God. He wants to end, if you will, with God. Notice what he says. Now to him, God, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that had been kept secret for long ages, but now is disclosed and through the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all the nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. As he brings the focus of these Roman Christians back to God, several things are important that Paul says. 
First of all, in verse 25, he says, listen, do you need to be reminded that God is fully capable? That's what the word able means. God is able. He is fully capable to, capable to strengthen you. Do you believe that today? By the way, this word strengthen doesn't mean to make more powerful. Here's what it means. It means to stabilize you, to settle you. Wow, what a great concept. Because we live in a world today, and if they lived that way 2,000 years ago, it hasn't gotten any better in 2,000 years. We live in such a restless world. And Christians are no better than those that don't know Christ. They're just as restless. There's no stability in many Christians' lives. There's no settledness. They can't settle down and settle into anything over the long haul. It's, well, no, go. they're, They're out there trying to find something that, can I just say, you'll never find. Only God can totally stabilize us and settle us. And yet we look for other things, other means to bring that stability. And part of the reason why we're restless on the outside and we live the way we do outwardly, externally, is because we're not at rest and at peace on the inside. Because the one flows out from the other. When I'm not at rest internally, then my life is not at rest externally. When I'm stabilized and settled on the inside, then my life begins to settle out and be stabilized as well. And we as Christians need to wake up to the opportunity God gives us even to be a witness in such a restless world. Because how... What kind of testimony or witness can we be to people about the stabilizing God that we have and how God can settle you and bring, bring you to a place of stability if they look at our lives going, your life is nothing but unstableness. You're here, there, and everywhere, and you're, you're trying this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing, and you're going here and you're going there, and you can't be settled with anything, and you're telling me God's going to come into your life and bring you joy and peace, and He's going to settle you. Really? And that's why we have to remind ourselves about the responsibility that we have as Christians to let God settle us. And bring us to a place internally where the peace of God rules and brings that inner tranquility to where we're not so inwardly like this to where then our lives outwardly is just flying in a million different directions. And notice Paul says God won't do it, but God can do it. That that God's not going to force us to be stable and settled, but God is fully capable of bringing us to a place of settledness and stability and stabilizing our lives if we'll allow him to. Because Paul goes on to say, 
Everything that God did in the Old Testament scriptures, and it was all in the culmination of bringing about Jesus Christ into our lives. And the other thing that really jumped off the pages at me as I was studying this, in verse 27, is how Paul ends this paragraph by reminding the Romans, too, that God is the only wise one. God is the only wise one. And any wisdom that we have is only through him. And here's what the word wisdom means. Very practically. So we can take this with us. The word wisdom means God has the best plan. And God has the best means of executing that plan. That's what wisdom means. So let's break that down. First of all, let's start a little bit bigger. That means God's plan for the oasis is better than any plan you and I could come up with. And God's plan is the best plan. And secondly, that the means of executing that plan, God knows the best way to do that as well. And let's face it, a lot of times in Scripture, Old and New Testament, we're confronted with a God that works in weird, strange, mysterious ways. And God even said, my ways aren't like your ways. I do things differently. And sometimes, you know, we're looking at God going, really, God, that's what you want to do now? Can I say I'm going through that very thing right now as the pastor of this church? I'm like, now, God, now's the timing for this? I'll talk to you more about that next week. Because to me, this doesn't seem like the right time. Yep, God, okay. Your plan. And then let's break this down to us individually. Here's where the rubber really meets the road, if you will, for each of us. What Paul's reminding us of is this. God's plan for my life is the best plan. Not my plan for my life. Not someone else's plan for my life. God's plan for my life is the best plan. And God's means of executing that plan and accomplishing that is the best. And so what Paul is saying here is, too, by acknowledging this great letter and ending it with reminding the Romans and us that God is the only wise one. He's really also, I think, asking us a question at this point, at the end. Are we following or are we willing to follow the only wise God? In fact, that's why at the end of verse 26, he even says, everything that God has done up to this point in my life and giving us Jesus and the gospel was noticed to bring about the obedience of faith. Those words, obedience of of faith, could mean willingness to follow. If God's got a plan, that's great. But if we as human beings, even as professing Christians, aren't willing to follow it, then doesn't it sort of go to waste, sad to say? I think about that from God's perspective. How many Christians will one day stand in front of God and just... I think, automatically realize the great plan God had for their life. And it just 
their life went by and never experienced it. And again, not that, you know, God's going to condemn us because there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Jesus Christ. But I, I think there's got to be some regret and disappointment on our part to go, wow, God, you had the best plan for my life and I just totally bonked it. I, I, I didn't even pursue your plan. I didn't even ask you. I didn't even think about your plan for my life. I was too busy making my own plans for my life. And that's why I think Paul's saying, by ending this letter the way he did, here's my note of exhortation. I've given you a note of appreciation. I've shared with you my heart, how much I love you. I appreciate you. My affection for you, your value to me and worth is beyond words. You're my brothers and sisters. You're my friends. We are co-workers in this fight to get... Christ to the nations and to build up the saints of God. I appreciate you. But he says, I want to warn you. There will always be those that come into the body and seek to divide and destroy what God is doing. And he says, there are also those who will seek to live and to lead others to a life that is contrary to what Scripture teaches. And so Paul is saying, don't be divided and don't be deceived. Stay away from certain people who call themselves Christians. Don't let them have a platform in the local church to be able to infect more people with their deadly doctrine, if you will, and their bad, bitter attitude. And don't let them have a great influence in your life. Avoid them. Stay away from them. Find the Christians that you need to allow to be an influence on you. And stay away from those that should not be a great influence on you. And then Paul says, but let's get back to the real thing we need to keep focused on. And that is we need to have our focus on God. And we need to allow God to stabilize us and settle us down. To get rid of getting caught up in the restlessness of the world. And the reason why the world is restless is because they're searching for what we already have. Therefore, it behooves us even more if we've got Jesus Christ... To let Jesus Christ shine through our lives to a place where other people can see that we're settled. We're content. I'm not looking for that next big thing because I've got the biggest thing. His name is Jesus Christ. And I don't need or want anything else in my life. I've got Jesus. I found it. I just need to start living it. And then Paul says, if that be true, are we also acknowledging that God is the only wise one? He's got the perfect plan for your life and my life. He's got the perfect plan for this church. And he also has the perfect means to execute his plan. So what God is saying to all of us as a church corporately and as individual believers is, 
will you follow? The obedience of faith, are you willing to follow? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Will we follow today with the obedience of faith? Let's pray. God, in just a moment, we end with a song that reminds us that you're enough. Oh, that we could capture that and grasp that, God in our lives, in our minds, and in our hearts. Because if truly, God, you were enough for us, then we would be settled. There would be a stability, a contentment in our lives that, Lord, would be even unexplainable apart from you. God, rescue us from the restlessness of our world. Deliver us, God, from being a people who claim to know you in a personal way. And yet in our lives, we're running after so many other things when we've got the best thing the greatest thing that will always transcend every other thing. And that is to have a personal relationship with the living God. God, may you be enough today for us. And may we be willing to follow you. Help us, Lord, to not continue to follow our plans for our lives or someone else's plan for our lives. Help us to either continue or to start following your plan for our lives because you're the only wise God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.